Welcome back in, everybody, to the Storied Podcast. I'm Ruben, and I'm with Ryan, as always. And uh, we are coming into the second part of our mule deer hunt stories. We left off last week with Ryan out in Utah. Really close to getting it done, but unfortunately didn't turn out the way that we wanted. That's how it goes sometimes. If you hunt long enough, it'll happen. But it's how you bounce back that matters and what you learn. And I think... Ryan could say that he learned a lot from that and had a lot of good experiences aside from not finding that deer. We're going to go now into my story in Montana, public land, a little different. We're not in high desert. We're not in open country anymore. We're going in the steep and deep dark timber bucks of Western Montana. So we're going to get started on that here, but um, we're going to talk about what we've been eating lately first. And before we even talk about that, I'm going to crack a beer. Ryan, what, what do I got here? <laughs> I can't even see. It's a Muley Buck. Kettle House Ooh. Muley Buck Mosaic IPA. One of my favorites. From where? Kettle House Brewing in Missoula. Nice. Yeah. There, so There we go to keep it on topic. Keep keep us loquacious here. Keep it flowing. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, I... Let's see what what did I have recently? I went on a. Well, you, want, you want me to go first here on the meals, or? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I <laughs> I think that's a good idea because uh, I need to really remember what we did for uh, the meal that I'm going to talk about. So you go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, coming up here is Wisconsin's uh, rifle season, uh, deer season. So. I'm going to try during that. I haven't done this yet, but I know I had a, a corned venison last year. And so a similar type thing, but kind of more of a, a dry, um, a kind of dry seasoning on the outside is a venison pastrami. So I pulled out right now already um, two, two kind of of the butt, the, the hind quarter of, um, of the deer and I got a seasoning on it right now. Some thyme, caraway seed, celery seed, sugar, some crushed juniper, put all that in and actually padded the meat all kind of with that dry um, rub right now. So I'm letting that sit for a few days before I kind of go into the next um, situations. And then I'll probably smoke that when I get home and um, slice it up thin and probably have it over, um, some rye bread with some mustard and do something classic like that. So when the guys get in for some deer hunting, we do, we can have a little venison pastrami. That sounds like something good to warm you up after a day out on the stand. Nice central Wisconsin type of meal there. Exactly. Heck you could even put sour, some sauerkraut on it, but that's oh, yeah. more of a Reuben for the corn, but pastrami is kind of the same thing. Dude, that reminds me that, uh, on Friday here, Byron Brewing in Missoula has their monthly yeah. Reuben sandwich spe- special. So I got to right go and there. get Shout that. Shout out right? Byron Brewing. They, what they day is that usually? Those, it's normally the last Friday of the month, but this month, since it's Thanksgiving the day before that Friday, they're doing it the third Friday of the month. So hopefully that means I can actually get in there in time to get a sandwich because they normally sell out by like 3 p.m. So, <laughs> so maybe some people don't realize it's on the third Saturday this time, but... Yeah, so for me, um, I cooked up some pheasant and Hungarian partridge. I've had pheasant before, 
never killed a pheasant before. I killed these pheasants. And uh, I've never killed or had Hungarian partridge before. So, made a little made a little meal for Maddie and I. And um, basically, pretty simple. I just uh, seasoned the pheasant breasts in uh, salt, pepper, herbs de Provence. I don't know how to say that stuff. I'm not high class, but... It's, it's a mix of either. herbs. Uh, <laughs> and um, what else did I put on? A little paprika. And oh, yeah. uh, basically just rub those down and let them sit for a couple hours. And then I did the same thing with the Hungarian partridge. Um, that one wasn't the breasted out like the pheasants. That one was still on the breast bone. I just did the whole take the breast bone off because they're smaller. And so, yeah, we just uh, fried them on the skillet and some butter. And um, had a little bit of a pasta broccoli side with it. And the pheasant's really good, but it's kind of like your typical walleye or your typical like, you know, chicken with something that is like what you make it taste like. Like it's good, but it's not like very yeah. unique in my opinion. It's a bland, you know, mild, yeah. mild meat. On the other hand, the Hungarian partridge I thought was way better tasting, it had way more flavor and it wasn't dark, dark. Like, um, I'm trying to describe it almost seemed like a mix between like a blue grouse and a spruce grouse not quite as sprucey though it's like you know it's like that really um flavorful white meat but it's got just a hint of that darker to it and, and man that's so good so we we had um we had that and it was uh, really good and that'll roll into what i've been up to lately as i said i had never killed a pheasant before and uh, I killed some this past weekend, along with being on a hunt where a nice muley buck died. I was out in central Montana with uh, my buddy, and uh, he's got some pheasant spots and uh, a dog. So uh, I was coming out there to help him on this mule deer hunt that I have been on with him the last two years out there. I killed a buck two years ago. I didn't kill one last year, but mainly because... I had a lot of tags filled already last year and I was just looking for a giant, you know? And then uh, this year I didn't have a tag because of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I filled it. Um, actually, I actually ended up texting him after I shot that buck. I was like, sorry, buddy, I'm not going to be able to hunt with you. <laughs> then I decided to go anyway. And yeah, so we went, we were out there, we shot pheasants a couple of days um, and we were on a very long mule deer hunt as far as like a day hike goes. And ended up killing a bedded buck that was asleep when it was shot. So asleep that it had its tines laying on the ground and it didn't move after it got shot. Which, if I was a deer, that's I think that's how I want to go out. He even had a doe about thirty. He even had a doe about thirty yards from him sitting there. So he just probably fell asleep dreaming about that doe and never woke up. I mean, were they uh, rutting at all or anything? You they see were. Any they were. They were riding pretty, pretty well. In fact, we passed up a buck that was about that big on the way in only a mile from the truck, hoping to find bigger ones. And he, he was sniffing butts big time. And then, uh, we yeah. killed that one six mile pack out. So a nice. little bit of a um, trek in the, in the coolie country. Do you see, uh, do you see a lot of those mule deer kind of, um, peak, peak breeding right now, chasing around th or like, when is the peak mule deer rut in that part of montana at least i haven't hunted central eastern montana enough to really know from experience i know that people mostly say you wait till that last week of november that's like when they're just running stupid 
Um, yeah. But I've hunted this spot we were at the past three years on Veterans Day weekend. First year we were in there, it was a straight up rut fest. In the actually the mule deer I killed that year, which I think it was like on November 11th or something. That deer was the most smelly buck I've ever shot, and one of the best tasting. Um, and then, uh, and then my buddy shot actually a buck two hours after I shot that one, and had seen a bunch more. Last year we really didn't see that much rutting activity. We it was a hard time finding bucks with doe groups. There was like a lot of doe groups with no bucks, which is a sure sign that it's not really running yet. You know. And then uh, this year it was pretty good red activity. It's just the deer numbers were a lot lower. We didn't see as many deer period. So, um, but yeah, I think most people would say that last very last week in November is what most people would say in that central Eastern country. However, in the spot that I'm going to talk about today, I feel like they rut at least a week earlier up there for whatever reason. Uh, we can talk about why I think that might be later, but um, what, what have you been, yeah. been up to lately? well you know just like last episode i always say i've been working so we've been working doing the same stuff and and then we've been planning a wedding so we've been doing a lot of that stuff and and then i luckily got out at least once so i went on some public um do a little shotgun hunting got out once got in there early in a spot where i'm like i i'm pretty sure it's during the week i can kind of get out and be a little quiet where deer can cut across this public going into private or wherever. So I went out there and saw, I saw a really nice eight pointer, um, chasing, chasing tail like usual. And then some does and ended up seeing eight deer and had one come in real late doing a buckish thing. There was these does out in this field, private field ahead of me. I could see they came from me and moseyed out there and he came just downwind off of that downwind leeward side of that slope. And he was just kind of watching and walking with that, that group of does. And I, it, it got dark and I couldn't see what it was. So I sat there for another hour or so until he passed. And, and then I broke down and got out of there. But yeah, it was, I sat all day. It was eventful the whole time. Every hour I'd see a deer and even saw a hunter mosey is way up to me and i'm like oh i felt bad for him i'm like you just climb this hill to see me <laughs> and then yeah. he turned around he was he was coming from private or off of private into the public yeah. so yeah well but, you know i actually i went over our little central montana hunt there but i've been in the whitetail woods too in fact i was in the whitetail woods this morning and uh um, yeah and Any uh Close. Uh, I, so I, I just have doe tag bonus doe tag left. That's archery only. Um, and okay. I, I could use a little bit more meat. Um, I mean, I think I'm fine with where I'm at, but kind of a little insurance meat and something to bring home to the fam. Uh, so I'm trying to shoot a doe, but I also just like sitting up in a tree stand when it's middle of November. See what, see what happens. <laughs> I mean, I'm Midwestern roots. Yeah. I might be kicking myself if a 150 buck walks under me, you know, but, um, and I can't shoot it. But yeah, I was out there and actually I was pretty surprised at how little rut activity there was in there. I didn't see a single buck this morning on my trail camera. I had only really three bucks, two, two dinkers. I mean, one, one was, you know, one was an eight point, but it was a two and a half year old, probably like a basket rack. Then another little, little buck. And then there was only one picture or one video of an actual mature buck that was from about a week ago, but he was only there one time. Other than that, just some random does. Anyways, this morning I had uh, 
yeah, I had them come off the bluff. I think I've talked about this spot before and they yeah. came, came down in. And unfortunately my tree stand was positioned too perfectly because they came in straight behind me on the trail that goes right under my tree. And so, mm. uh, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything as far as like get my bow off the tree. And even if I did, I wouldn't be able to draw. Cause that's the one spot. I, I have it set up that the wind is always blowing back towards that. They normally come like crossing from the right or the left and they can't yeah. come from the back like that, but generally they don't. And, uh, they didn't really, they did win. I don't know if they winded me or not, but, um, both of them, they were like an hour apart. They came five yards right behind me, stopped and they were just standing there looking around. And then it's like, you know, if a deer stops, five yards from you and is going to spend any amount of time there. They're going to hear, <laughs> see, smell something. And, uh, yeah. So both of them did that, but one of the does was hot. Cause after about half an hour after she blew out, she was up on the hill again and I could see her tail was wide up and you could see her bare, you know, skin around the, the business yeah. end there. And she was just spreading her scent all across the hillside, just walking back, waving her tail. So nice. I was really surprised that there weren't any bucks running around. I, I don't know why there's a hot dough there, you know, but I'm excited because I'm going tomorrow and I might sit all day if it comes to it. Uh, because right now it's starting to rain out there and overnight it's going to rain, turn into a little bit of snow and drop 20 degrees. And then in the morning it's supposed to be not raining and calm. So I think that those deer really move into that, that bottom when it's nasty weather. Cause that's the thick cover. So hopefully tomorrow um, a little what, more action. What's What's your setup and what does your wind do in, in a bottom like that? It's a pretty wide open bottom, right? Yeah, it's it's a lot of mature cottonwoods and then the other story is pretty much hawthorn and um, like what what's it, your it, plan for, for your scent? Like where are you trying to get dump it or get rid of it? It it's kind of uh it's really tough. fortunately fortunately for me if there's any like kind of bit of wind that's uh coming in something with the cottonwood canopy and then that hill being only a couple hundred yards behind Mm -hmm. me it kind of pulls it up honestly okay because like i'm on the edge of a big valley and it kind of comes if it's coming from any direction like northwest west southwest it's going to come in there. And I think it just creates kind of like a little turbulent thing halfway up the hill that pulls it up. Yeah. Cause a lot of times I'll be breathing or hitting my, my wind indicator and it'll just kind of like hang there and start rising, you know? But then, I mean this, this morning it was kind of shifting around all over in there. So you kind of got to get, get lucky, honestly. Uh, you just got to hope that the deer coming at the right time. And that's kind of why it's a rut spot. It's like, um, they yeah, got to come in fast. And yeah, gotta it's got to be a quick thing. It's got to be a quick thing. It's not like something can work in over a period of time or they're going to smell you because mm-hmm. at some point they're going to get your wind. But uh, yeah, so anyways, enough whitetail talk. Want to talk some mule deer? Yeah, let's get the mule deer. Let's first, can you break down even for me and maybe for the viewers, um, a little background on your tag that you possessed for this mule deer hunt? Yep, so it's just a general Montana deer tag um resident tag so in montana you can use that anywhere in the state as long as there isn't a specific regulation for the unit you're hunting in um and there's there's multiple types some of them are draw units and those draw units typically for mule deer if you draw a tag and a draw unit for mule deer you cannot hunt mule deer in any other unit in the whole state for that that season 
Um, then they also switched a couple regulations lately to try to help the mule deer numbers in Western Montana, where uh, the last week of season, like we were talking about, people hedge their bets on after Thanksgiving. They they shortened yeah. the mule deer general season by one week to try to save some of those deer that are just you know out of their minds in the last week because in western montana there's uh you know the numbers aren't doing quite as hot i feel like there's uh possibly some landscape ecosystem issues for that in western montana whereas in eastern montana i feel like that's more just harvest like those those age classes and numbers are driven a lot more by hunters and then also probably drought and disease more out there Whereas in Western Montana, I think there's a lot of stuff going on that's affecting mule deer more so than mm-hmm. like whitetails or elk. Um, so yeah, it's just a general tag. And I, yeah, I mean, I was going up to this mountain range I've hunted before. Yeah, I mean, yeah, while you're describing that, can you describe, you know, Western Montana and maybe the background you've had with this certain area slash range? that you've got, you've hunted. Yeah. So Western Montana, I mean, when people talk about Western Montana, we're generally just referring to West of the continental divide. Um, and it's definitely different North and South. Uh, I mean, way down South in like unit 270, like way down by Idaho or, um, yeah, basically that is like the Southwestern extent of, of where you'd be hunting mule deer. And it's actually the best mule deer habitat and trophy unit in the state is it's 270 and 250 to draw tags. And that, that's kind of uh, a lot more moisture in that area than some other areas. Um, and it's, it's a really good mix of like op- more open valleys, but like a lot of forested, uh, forested mountains with a lot of, uh, quite a bit of, uh, undergrowth, a lot, a lot of brush underneath the canopy mm-hmm. and stuff. Go a little east from there and you get a higher elevations and it becomes more of that uh, lodge pole and then sage bottoms. And, um, you know, you might get a little bit of junipers and uh, cedars in there and stuff. Um, and then if you go further west, like real western Montana, um, west of Missoula, about an hour or so, that turns into like what you might picture like almost Oregon. Uh, in some of those areas, when you get up in those mountains, it's like very forested, very thick and, um, a lot more green. And those mule deer numbers actually out there are not doing nearly as well, uh, for whatever reason. Um, I don't think they have the winter range as much out there that they need, but where I was hunting is kind of a, in between all of those really. So, um, the, the thing that defines the mountain range or the, the small range where I was hunting it's probably it's steepness. I mean, mountains are steep, but like these mountains are, it's hard to describe. Yeah. But, I, I was out, I was out there. They're definitely atypical. Yeah. Of, I think most areas, you know, you, you find some areas like that maybe in Colorado and, but, but yeah, it's very, everything is very, you don't ever stand on flat ground. Yeah. There aren't really benches. You're like going yeah. up an incline all the way to the top. And then you're going straight down the other side. There's really not yeah. a lot of flat, uh, anywhere. So when you do find like, you know, the ridge line is a good place for animals to run. And if you can find a little pocket where it flattens out just a little bit with a little bench or at least enough for a deer to dig out a bed or something like you start to key in on those areas. 
I, this, this mountain I was hunting was actually the first mountain I ever went to when I moved to Montana. I like literally got here like two days after I moved in, I was going to go shed hunting. I was like looking at on X. I'm like, that looks like an interesting spot. It's still like my worst shed hunting spot ever, but it, uh, it, it's where I started out romping around. So like, how did you find this? Was this like what, like you said, you found it just on Onyx, you went to Onyx. Did anything catch your, catch your eye on this specific area or anybody tell you anything? Nobody told or me anything. Did? I didn't know anything yeah. because I didn't know anybody because I moved here in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, so so no, I just looked for forest land. I looked for something pretty damn steep. And this, this actually has a pretty decent burn on one side. So I was like, okay, there's like some habitat, uh, diversity there and it's a South facing slope. So I was like, you know, that's going to be burnt off. That's mainly what it was because I was looking for places in March that were burnt off from the snow. Um, yeah. so a, you can find antlers if they are there, but B that's probably where the deer are spending more time anyways. Um, and then when I was up there shed hunting, I started be like, man, I should check this out a little bit more. So that summer I put up some trail cameras up there and I mean, I probably hiked like 50, 60 miles on that mountain that first year going all over the place. Um, aside from that burn area I was talking about, it is pretty much all like lodgepole and ponderosa there's some there's some decent ponderosa like little parks not big parks like little parks and then the north faces are just nasty lodgepole and spruce and yeah um and they're really it's really hard walking and when i moved here i walked up that and i was like holy shit is this what everybody's doing all the time out here in the mountain this is mountain hunting <laughs> like what the hell is this and then i realized that's still like my hardest mountain that i hunt so i like kind of started out on level 10 there didn't even know it um but that year I ended up actually shooting a really nice mule deer buck, my first mule deer, uh, after pounding it and, uh, not even really figuring out the mule deer. I just put up trail cameras and saw there were mule deer up there and that it was a general unit. And then I went and just still hunted it a few times. Was this, this was a story that we actually had on this podcast, right? On scouting. Yeah. This first one. Yeah, and yeah. and two episodes ago with Hunter Interactions, that story. Okay, yeah. With yeah, cool. Back, so the guys helped you've had a decent amount of background or history with this with this hill. Yeah, so that year I actually shot that mule deer buck, but before I shot that, I ended up shooting my first uh, black bear ever. Um, only about six hundred yards from where I ended up killing that buck a month later. And then since then, I haven't killed anything on that mountain, but. Um, I've hunted it quite a bit and, and, you know, started to kind of realize that that first mule deer, I wouldn't say it was like, it wasn't like quite lucky, but I also didn't mm. know how like rare that interaction would have been to find a buck like that. Like I, I was doing the right thing. I just didn't, I, I just got, I just hit the jackpot on the second hunt that I went and I didn't realize how hard that is. Like that doesn't happen all the time. So I've hunted it pretty much every year, a few times since then. And I'm always trying to go in there probably the last week of October, first week of November, that buck I shot the first time was, uh, November 7th. And he was, he was rutted up. So, like I said, I think they rut a little earlier there than in other places. So anyways, uh, another thing about this mountain, it, uh, 
it really, really sucks to walk on when there's melting snow because of what we talked about, how steep it is. I mean, you, you, it, it's dangerous, downright dangerous. So, um, yeah, I was going to go up there and, uh, hunt it. Uh, well, but first, before you go into like going in to hunt it, um, did you have any goals going into this season? That tag that you just described, a uh, general tag, did you have any goals of what caliber or what deer you were looking for since you've already harvested, uh, some mule deer before? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, so I, I killed that mule deer on this mountain in 2020, and that was still this still the biggest buck I've ever shot mule deer wise. Actually, period, this is the biggest buck I've ever shot. Um, then I shot that other really nice mule deer out in Central Montana the following year, and then 2022 I killed an elk, two pronghorn, and a whitetail. So I was just looking for you know Goliath and never saw him, which totally fine with me. Just get more hunting experience. So this year I was like, uh, you know, I haven't killed a mule deer. I killed a whitetail last year. Normally I have a bonus tag, not normally, two years in a row I was lucky to draw a bonus either sex whitetail tag. So I was able to hunt both mule deer and whitetail. This year I had to choose because on your general tag, you just use it for deer. And it depends on the unit, if it's whitetail, mule deer. And you can only shoot one. So I was like, well, I want to shoot a mule deer because I have in two years. Um, and I want to shoot a good buck on that mountain because of the adventure of the hunt and what that mountain means to me. Otherwise I'm going to go to central Montana for, you know, that three, four day hunt. And I'm going to try to shoot, shoot one out there and I, I'd be ready to pull the trigger out there, you know, but, um, well, I, I wanted to shoot a decent deer. I wasn't going to just like shoot a meat buck at the end of yeah. that trip. Um, but I would say that for this hunt on this mountain, it's more of shooting just a more mature animal versus uh, a big rack. Because the other part about it is not only is it really, you know, difficult hiking, but it's so thick that uh, these deer up there, the way to hunt them pretty much is still hunting them. And so you don't have time to look over a deer and be like, oh, you know, how's this G2? How's that front fork or whatever? you pretty much have like 30 seconds a minute tops to like decide if you want to shoot a deer. Cause generally when you come up on them, they're looking at you <laughs> and they're less than a hundred yards. So, um, so, yeah. So what was your game plan now to pull all this off? Like I remember you actually texting me or calling and us, us talking about that before, um, you actually even got out, out on that hill. Yeah. Go into kind of your game plan on that. So the front side of this mountain has that kind of burn and there's a, it's not, it's not gradual, but it's a less steep ridge to go up on that side. Mm -hmm. And you can work that ridge back and forth, like, you know, hopping over one side to the other timber to open on the burn. And then you get up higher. That hike is about three and a half miles in one way up 3000 feet. You turn around and go back down. I've done that quite a few times. And I always see a decent amount of deer, but they're generally mostly does. And I've seen, you know, like forkies. And I typically don't see them until I'm like at where this ridge line starts to go up again, about two and a half miles in. That's when I always run into them is right there. And last year I tried one time to hunt the backside of the mountain, which is much steeper. So that was 3000 feet and three and a half miles on the front side. The backside to get to where I wanted to hunt was 2,000 feet in one mile. 
which is and that backside too is uh that lodge pole like you're saying and then isn't there a decent amount of some downfall there's a lot of deadfall on the north slope there yes deadfall, um, yeah 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 but then uh on the tops it's it's nice open parks and there's actually like uh there's actually a couple of points with ridges where like multiple bowls of the mountain meet at the top so it'd be very easy for a buck to check you know scent all those areas just running the the lower edges of those rims and um so yeah, that was the plan is I was going to go up this gnarly ass North face. This is further removed from the front side of the mountain. The front side actually did have some uh, hunting pressure. And I hunted that the weekend before I did this hunt. And like I said, I always end up seeing about, I don't know. And I don't see a lot of deer on these hunts. It's, it's, it's still hunting all day. And I saw, I think 11 deer and two bucks that first time that I hunted it on the front side. And that was actually like the most deer I've ever seen doing that. Um, but then this backside is a, a much gnarlier hike up to it. Last year I got up there and I got busted by a really big three point that was broken off on one side of the main beam completely. Um, so that kind of made me think like, Ooh, there's probably like quite a few big bucks up here if they're fighting like that. And the one I shot in 2020 was missing his G2 because that was busted off. So I'm like, well, if these nice mule deer up here are, breaking each other up. There's gotta be quite a few of them, or at least they're really defensive of these areas. So yeah, um, there was snow on the ground and it was going to warm up throughout the day. And this is a very steep hike. Uh, and like you were saying, Ryan, there's a lot of deadfall everywhere. So like pretty much the ridge line is the only place that I can really navigate up there. Cause when you get into the flat steep faces, um, it's, it's pretty impossible to walk, especially the snow really sucks in this kind of environment. I don't know how much I can state that because not only are you slipping on everything, but you cannot see what's under the snow. So like you put your foot down, you can either go up to your shin in a hole between sticks, or you can step on a barkless stick that is slippery as ice. And, uh, it's, it's tough walking. So how much, how, cause it snowed before this, didn't it? Like how many inches yeah. and like, what are we talking about snow when you're describing snow yeah there was a pretty big storm that came in i think it snowed about eight inches up there like probably Dang. yeah probably three days before i did this hunt i don't know maybe so you're talking eight. all that stuff eight inches now starting to melt down to like three and it's just soup the soil's not really frozen so it's just sloppy yeah. slippy that's the big thing too is the ground to go up that fast. Yeah, the ground is not frozen. And I knew that this was going to potentially be an issue, especially in the evening when you're coming back down, things start to refreeze and then it's a skating rink. So I actually went to Shields and I, I bought some ice cleats. Um, like I was hoping that they had actual like more like low level crampons, like legit crampons. Because I was like, mm -hmm. you know, for actually hunting, I might not have these on, but for the pack out for sure, I'm going to want these. Are are you talking like the crampons that are like an inch or two that like while they stick to the bottom of your boot, but that are thicker versus just the ice cleats with little tiny metal strips kind of on your bottom or the chains or whatever they are? Yeah. So I think that the ones I bought from Shields are for ice fishing. Um, mm -hmm. They're they're like rubber that goes around your boot, which I, I wish that they actually had a strap. It doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, but they do have like half inch, not super sharp okay. like metal coming off of them. Um, okay. And so I was wearing those going up and honestly, like, yeah, I was, I was loving them initially right away. I was like, that, that was a good idea to get these. And so I make my ascent, and I'm, I'm starting to 
starting to go up and I get about halfway, probably a thousand feet up. And I, there's a, um, you can start to glass this opposite like face, this ridge line comes down on a flat face. It's a little sparsely more timbered. And, uh, but there's not a lot of places you can glass from this ridge I'm ascending because it's timbered. So like you need to find a little outcropping or something to be able to see through the trees to the next ridge line. And I, I look and there's a deer kind of coming across about 800 yards over there. And I'm like, oh, sweet deer, you know. So I, um, I get, get my uh, pad out because I want to sit down, get steady and really look at this deer because um, you don't, as we're describing the conditions and the terrain, you really got to pick what deer you're going to go after. You don't just willy nilly start running after these things up there. Cause it, it could take you half an hour to go, you know, half a mile. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I sat down, I got my binos up and I, I can't find them. And I'm like, what? And I was like, pretty sure I saw one tine from that distance. So like when I first saw them and then I, I couldn't find them. I'm like, that's a pretty wide open hillside. And, decent amount of snow and I couldn't turn them up again. I'm like, so I watched for like 10 more minutes. I couldn't find them again. I'm like, Oh, well, that's kind of, kind of sucks. So I'll just keep going up to work this, this Ridge start ascending again, getting our 500 feet up. Then I look and at the top of that same face where I had seen that, that buck lower down at the very top, I saw a doe silhouette hanging out up there. Like right, the sun's rising right now, you know, I'm like, okay, well that's good. We got like, two deer on this face and I'm on this next ridge line and I don't think I should cut over lateral right now, but I think I'm going to work this out to the top and then I'll probably head over in that direction. Cause there's obviously some deer over there and being November 1st, you know, you want to go where there's deer. Um, well, you generally want to go where there's deer, maybe not early <laughs> yep. season, maybe not early season when you're looking for single bucks, but, um, especially rut rut phase. Yeah. Yeah. So I got up, I worked, I worked where I'd been and actually it was pretty um, surprised to see that someone else had done this like a few days before me in the snow. Um, this is very, this is a very, this is the hardest hike that I do. It's not very far, but. That's partially the reason why you went to this area. So this is kind of away from your historic area, but just in a backside, like you were saying, away from you you normally go and you think it's going to be away from some of the people that you've uh, kind of seen the sign, right? Yeah, so the front side gets hunted more. Where I run into the deer on the front side is typically about two and a half miles in. And if you look at the map, it's like, well, they're probably coming from this backside. It's probably where their like safety mm-hmm. zone is. So where I'm coming up on that side of the mountain is probably the crow flies about five miles from like where I start on the other side. Um, okay. And so I get up to the top start working that ridge. Don't see anything. Then, uh, I get to the main ridge line. So if you will, I'm on a finger coming off, then there's a main ridge line and these deer were on another finger, actually kind of like the very end of the main ridge line dropping off. So I take that left, sit down, glass that area, turn up two does pretty much where I saw that first doe right on top. And I'm like, okay. Um, well, actually, I saw two deer. One was definitely a doe, and the other one I just saw its butt. So I was like, well, I don't know. Could be a buck, you know? And even if it's not, there's does. There could still be a buck right over the lip. So I let them work over the lip. I'm like, okay, time to get into stock mode, you know? Quick drop down the saddle. They're about, mm, they're probably about 350, 400 yards when I saw them, and they disappeared. So I quick drop down the saddle in the snow, start cutting across the hillside. And this is where it gets hard, is because, um, I'm wearing these ice cleats and everything. And then this hillside is burnt off there. So now your ice cleats are on mud and 
that's not working out very well. And so mm-hmm. like, I'm like, do I take, so I took those off and then I'm like working through and get up and then there's more snow and now it's like mixed. And it's always hard to see which one's the better one to use. Anyways, I get to that lip, look over, boom, doe, 70 yards, but she's got me pegged. Look over, there's the other doe. They're both got me pegged and I'm like looking around. Is there another deer here? You know, <laughs> get my rifle. Like, you know, I have my rifle ready and everything. I have a round chambered at this point. Actually, this mountain, because I hunt by myself, I actually always keep around chamber just because of the way that I'm hunting. If you're mm-hmm. doing spot and stock, I never chamber around until I'm either close to or already lined up on a deer. But this, you need to pull up and shoot a lot of times. Yeah. So I already have one in and I get my gun up and I'm like looking at them and I could I could have, you know, pulled off a shot on them, but they had had enough of me after about 30 seconds and then they just ran off and I'm like, Oh, I didn't see any other deer around. Oh, well, you know, looks like just two does. Maybe I'm too early Rut hasn't started. Maybe there's no, no bucks like going after the does, even though I know there's still bucks up here somewhere. So then I walk up to where they were and there's this huge uh, rock outcropping with like a 50 foot, like straight up vertical cliff. And uh, that's where I was going to have lunch. Did, um, before lunch, I know we were talking, me and you, like this whole game plan you're describing, weren't you going to like try rattling? You're like, you know what? I'm going to go up there. I'm going to try some rattling. You've ever heard anybody rattling for mule deer? Did you do any of that at any point? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, people normally don't rattle for mule deer and I don't, I don't know if it's not I don't know if it's because it's not effective. I would think it's still effective. I think it's just not, it's not a main tool in your toolbox because I feel like mule deer hunting is a lot more spot and stock covering a lot of country. And it's more you pursuing the animal and, and turning them up. And they also do occupy a bit much larger area, even when they're running than yeah. a whitetail does. So the chances of a buck being within earshot of you rattling is generally probably not very high. But in this situation, I'm thinking to myself, these animals, ha- their hearing is their best sense. Like they're going to hear me walking through. That's why the still hunting is so difficult. Their smell is probably second best and their sight is probably last, but it's still pretty good up there because you're going to be so close. It's not like if a deer like looked over at you at 300 yards, like these, these deer live in this timber and you, you know, your movement is probably very noticeable. The one that's not that far away that you don't know is there. So I'm like, how do I, how do I get an advantage on uh the situation i'm like well all these bulls meet together on the top of this ridge and i've seen these broken off deer up here before i'm like maybe i should try rattling get a good vantage point try rattling and if that brings one in then i'd be then i'd be sitting in the catbird seat you know (laughs) i'd be i'd be the one that knew what was up start new things a trendsetter yeah so i sat down got lunch out and I, I ate my lunch before I rattled because I didn't want to rattle and have it work right away and have all my lunch everywhere, you know? So I, I ate lunch and this was a, this was a beautiful, beautiful spot. I mean, there, this Creek goes around the toe of the mountain way down there, 2000 feet below me. And on the other side is just as crazy country. Only like that side is South facing and more ponderosas and parks. And, um, 
And so I'm sitting on the edge of this huge cliff with a couple of finger ridges right next to me. You can almost see the creek way down there. And on the other side is just this half moon bowl of like eight different drainages going up on the mountains on the other side. And the sun's shining right now. It's the weather is like, you know, it was cool, crisp in the morning, some reason. Now it's probably 35 and the sun is shining. And I'm like, damn, this is like a sweet vista and. I'm going to rattle right now and I can see any deer that's going to come up to like below this cliff for 300 yards. And I'm like, all right, we'll give her a whirl. So I rattled and I rattled and then I was watching 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by. And I'm like, you know what? That sun is pretty warm. This is a nice place. I'm sitting. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> it's about halfway through the day at this point. Um, so yeah, I took a snooze. I took like a 20 minute snooze and it was very comfortable. So then I got up. Oh, another thing I was going to say is I have snow camo on on my top. Cause I think that helps when you're peeking over ridges. If they see you, the first thing they're going to see is the top of your body and there's yep. snow there. So even if they pick off some movement, it might take them a little bit longer to figure out what you are. So I get up and I also carry on my backpack, uh, one of those hand warmer pouches, you know, like it's reversible. One side's camo, one side's blaze orange. So I had taken that off of my backpack because I normally keep it on the back of my backpack to add to my blaze orange from the backside. Um, and then obviously if it's cold out, I use it to warm my hands. But I had taken that off of the backpack while I was eating lunch. So I've been here about 45 minutes. Time to get up and start working the mountain again. Get up. I'm pretty close to the edge of this cliff. I'm probably like two feet, three feet from the edge of this cliff. So I like move my backpack and I was going to get my hand warmer strapped back on it. And when I moved the backpack, it started to roll and I was about to go reach for it. Then, then I'm like, I don't need to go falling off this cliff. Cause I mean, I was like, you know, arm's length from the edge of it. And that thing just falls off the cliff and the sun's shining at such an angle that you can see down like the sun. I'm at the point of the cliff. The sun's over my right shoulder and the, the pouch disappears, but you can see in the snow, the shadow of it. And just like, <laughs> falls like 50 vertical feet. Um, I'm like, shit. I'm like, well, that's not that expensive, but I also don't want to litter. And it's, you know, not that much for me to go 50 yards that way, drop down the edge of this cliff face rock, you know, it's a rock outcropping and go down there. But that would take me below the rim of the top of this ridge. And on the backside is that dark timber down, you know, deadfall, covered in snow, nasty shit. And I'm like, well, you know, it won't be too rough. It's only about 150 yards to get through there. So I go down little bit. I know that this would play big into what happened. I go down there, decide to Don't go down and get my you. pouch, decide to go down and get my pouch and uh, pick it up. And then I start going through that backside. Cause I was originally going to come over the top and hunt down and the other side of the ridge there is more south facing and there it's kind of like what I was describing. It's a little bit more open with pondos. And at this point, the sun has turned around the mountain is just beating on that in the early afternoon. And like, you know, it's patchy snow over there. Like there's some areas that's still snow covered, but the stuff that's not shaded at all is starting to get just grass is starting to get exposed. And I was going to go and go to the top and go downhill because those thermals are coming up. Right. So I was going to like work yeah. it down. But since I went to go get my pouch, now I'm about a hundred feet below the top of that. And I got to go through literally the worst, the worst pickup sticks I've ever worked through. Like the only thing that could be worse would be, I couldn't actually go through them. It took me about 20 minutes to go 150 yards. 
it was just like a jungle gym in there. And like everything I said, the snow made it so I couldn't see where my foot was going. And then I had a bunch of like foot entrapment shit and like slidey stuff. And I was like making a lot of noise. Then I was like, well, at least I know there's no bucks in here because they don't want to mess with this shit. Like I didn't see any yeah. deer tracks on that side. Then there was just like literally crawling through these dead deadfall. It didn't look that bad from the start, but once you got in there, it's like, you know, that stuff that's at chest level. So you can't go over it or under it very easy. So I worked through that kind of cussing like this is stupid. Get over <laughs> to the, get over to that other ridge line. Uh, and you can, you know, you can see the blue sky just behind the silhouettes of the trees on this ridge line before it drops under those parks. And I'm like, okay, this is, you know, get, get your head back in the game. You know, there could definitely be deer right here. Sun's beating down. This is, Seems to be where they'd be chewing their cud, being in the sun, you know. It's not super cold out, but it's still in the upper 30s. Like, deer want to be in the sun, you know, if they don't have to, they don't have to keep warm as, you know, they don't, they don't have to be moving around or eating. They can just warm up in the sun, even if it's not that cold. Just you know, just like you taking a nap in that warm sun on that cliffside. Exactly. Deer feeling the same thing. Ooh, that's nice and warm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, honestly, that is my approach to hunting this mountain is just do what the deer are doing in the morning yeah. and middle of the morning. I'm just slowly walking around, picking my way through there, just like they're doing. And then, you know, and sometimes Ryan, I don't know if you know this or if you felt this, but, um, you know, when you're out on a hunt and, and you just get kind of that Zen, like you're not like overconfident, like I'm going to go kill something, but there's just, there's just a feeling like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do today and things are just going to work out how they're going to work out. And that's tends to be when something happens for me. Cause I, yeah. I had no, I had no worries. I had the whole month of November ahead of me to hunt. I was like, I'm just going to work this all slow and I'm just going to take it in and have fun and see what's happening. And I was just doing that. And I got around on the front side and all of a sudden I hear uh, screaming. I heard screaming, Ryan. And I'm like, at first I was like, is that a freaking person? I'm like, no, it's not. And then it was like, oh, that's a, that's an animal. It was like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like coming from the dark timber, like North face about directly across this cut from me, about 600 yards away, probably 800 yards away. What do you think uh, it was? At first I thought it was like somebody. And I was like, oh, this, this isn't good if someone's making noise like that up here. But then it was, uh, it was a mule deer. I never saw it, but it, it was a mule deer getting killed by a predator is what it was. I don't know what predator. Any idea what what there it were, was, what was killing it? Or? There were a couple of wolf tracks uh, along uh, on this mountain the week before I had hunted it. And, and when I went that morning, there was a couple sets of wolf, wolf tracks. There's also lions up there. Not too far from there, I walked up on a sleeping lion a couple springs ago, shed hunting. Um, but... Yeah, th this this noise continued for about probably three four minutes. Blah, blah, blah. It's like a doe bleep, but like as hard as you could blow it, like you know, in distress, you know. Yeah. And it's kind of moving down the mountain too. It almost sounds like you know it's getting pulled down the mountain. And I'm like, holy shit! So I started like walking up further, and I'm like trying to glass over there, and I'm like interested in what's going on. Also, there's bears up there, and at this point, um. The black bears probably were pretty curled up because it got down to like three degrees a few days before and it was, you know, snowy, but the grizzly bears are still oh. wandering around and there actually are, 
a decent amount of grizzly bears walking out around out there. It's no glacier or Yellowstone, but there's definitely, you know, bear grizzly bears around there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well that could be any of three large carnivores killing that thing, you know, and I'm trying to glass it up. And I had walked probably about 200 yards from that ridge line out of that jungle gym, dark timber stuff at this point. I'm in open grass with a ponderosa probably every 50 yards, right? And I'm I'm looking, I'm looking, and then I'm like, like it stopped, and I'm like trying to pick out if something was up there. And I'm like, not really. So then I go back to looking at, you know, these deer tend to bed right at the bases of the tr- these trees on the uphill side. Cause that's where some yeah. ground collects and it's like a little level there, like very tiny little level spot. And I look down and I see a deer's back and an antler at about like 50 some yards, like straight below me standing up alert ears forward. And I was like, Oh shit, there's a buck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's all I thought. I was like, Oh, there's a buck. <laughs> And so yeah. I was like, well, I got, you know, I've got my round chambered because there'd be absolutely no way to put one in the chamber without blowing this thing out. And I'm like, okay, he's, he looks like he's interested in whatever was just dying on that hillside. But he's also moving his ears back and forth and I'm walking through the snow here. So I'm sure he heard me too. So I'm sitting there and if you, if you picture that um, I'm a right-handed shooter, so I've got my, uh, I've got my rifle, how my, I got my left hand on the grip and then I got my, uh, right hand on, or my right hand on the grip and my left hand on the stock. And I had been left foot forward uphill is to my left. So I'm splayed out in the, out, the worst position you can be to shoot to your right. Cause this buck is downhill to my right. So you're like contorting your body. Cause even if it was uh, my right foot forward and my left foot back, it's a little bit easier than being splayed out like that. And what um, do you got for a gun? A six, five Creed more? No, I've got a savage bolt action, uh seven MM eight. Oh, seven. That's right. You got yeah. a seven. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yep. And up to this point, I've killed four animals with that gun and all of them went zero yards. <laughs> so, I, I, I first get my binos out because, you know, even though I'm I'm on this hunt because of the adventure and the background I have with this mountain, I still want to make sure it's uh, like I, I don't care about the rack as much as I care about it being a mature deer. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to shoot a two and a half year old on accident, I guess, and like come up on it and be like, oh, that's just like, you know, could have been a much better deer. So I. I look at him through the binos <clears throat> And the sun's behind him, right? So he's kind of like the sh- his shadow is to me. Behind him is like really light. It's like you know the brown grass blowing in the breeze. The breeze is like wind's perfect. It's coming straight uphill from him. And I I see that I can't see his right side. His tines are lined right up with the whole main beam, so I can only see his G two going up. So I'm like, oh, I can't really tell if there's splits or whatever going on there. But his left side was more to me and I could see the G2 going up. But then I saw like just funkiness. Like I looked to the front end of the main beam and it was just almost looked like it was kind of palmated or something. Like, you know, it's not like a straight beam, narrow beam going out. It's just like a wall kind of a bone, like just like a half. Yeah. I, and I was like, what the heck is that? So then I was like, all right, 
I know I have about, who knows? I got about 30 seconds to decide what I'm going to do here before this deer leaves. So I was like, well, I'm going to put my binos back and I'm going to look at them through my scope. That way I'm ready to shoot. And also I can, I'm going to look at them again through the scope and try to see what his antlers are. So I, I get my shoulder, my gun. And like I said, it's a very awkward shooting position, but mind you, it's only 50, 60 yards, but he's like way down for me. It's a very steep angle. So it's kind of diff. It's a difficult judgment shot. I'm zeroed at 200 yards. So I know I have to put these crosshairs pretty much on his brisket at like, you know, 50, 60 yards. And then, but then even that a steeper angle like that, you know, you even need to go lower. So I'm like sitting there and I'm pretty wobbly. Like my left to right with the gun seems pretty, pretty sturdy, but like I'm jamming my elbow into my ribs to try to hold that stock steady, you know, on my front hand. And so now my crosshairs are going up and down with my breathing. And I look and I'm like, yeah, he's about as wide as his ears, like maybe a little inside, mm. but he's like, he's like decently tall. And I see that funkiness there. And I'm like, and you could just see his like neck and back. I'm like, that looks like a bigger deer. I'm like, I- I'm going to shoot this deer, but I- I'm going to try to shoot this deer. So I'm, I'm breathing. Crossers go up, down, up, down. And I guess I shot on my inhale because I couldn't get a good enough grip where my, uh, crosshairs were like at the apex when I was breathing in is where they were on the deer. And when I would, you know, uh, exhale, they went a little below the deer, but I could, it was so steep that like, I couldn't, I couldn't adjust it so that I was on them the whole time. What I guess what I'm saying is like, it had to be on the inhale. I had to be inhaled to have it steady on his vitals. So I put it right behind the shoulder. He's quartering a little bit away from me facing downhill squeeze. Boom. And like, I can't remember if it was through the scope or also just like the scope moved and I saw it, but I just saw snow fly everywhere in the sunshine. Just like an explosion of snow, almost like a snow plow driving by, you know, just like just snow everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and then I didn't see the deer, like it was gone. And I'm like, you know, well, normally you don't see that big of a blow up of snow if they're just running like, that, that seemed like <laughs> yeah. you know seemed like he got hit. So I, I immediately reload and I run forward like down quick to that spot to see like, you know, what happened? Like, is, is it bounding away tracks or what happened? And I just see a slide in the snow going straight down that hill, like his body sliding, but there's no blood. And then for a split second, I'm like, oh, did I just like stun him or something? And like, he's going to get up cause there's no blood. But then I look down I can see the deer sliding down like a damn bobsled, like 200 vertical feet below me. This is a huge open, like uniform face of just grass and pondos. And he's just sliding like with nothing to stop him, just going down snow flying everywhere. And he's like trying to gain his, but that's the thing is I could see he's trying to gain his front legs and his heads Mm -hmm. up. And I'm like, I didn't see a bunch of blood, so it's probably not a lung or heart shot. And I could see he's trying to paw forward with his legs. I'm like, did I like spine him? What happened here? Regardless, I thought, you know, I need to make a follow-up shot. So, and he's like hauling ass down this mountain. And so yeah. I just start doing the same thing. And and probably not the most like 
gun safe thing ever. Obviously I still have my safety on and everything, but I'm pretty much just skiing down this mountain after this deer on this, this wet melting snow. It's like you take one step and then you like go down three feet on one foot, just sliding down that thing, barely like staying upright. Probably for about 15, 20 seconds, I was doing that. And I looked afterwards, he literally slid down 300 vertical feet from that first shot straight down. And, and then he stopped and I stopped, but he's still like a couple hundred yards down there. And I can, at this point I can see that he's like very alive. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, shit, I got to make another shot. But then I'm like, now I'm at like 200 yards with this steep ass angle, which is probably like a 50 yard straight out shot, but 200 yards, like hypotenuse, all this kind of, stuff. I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to go down there and try to get closer to him. Cause it looks like he's hurt, but I, I don't, I don't, he's not going to die. Did you know kind of where that first shot went or at this point you didn't know he was just sliding at this point. I had no idea where that first shot went. Mm -hmm. So then I I started charging back down there and he gets in the very bottom of this cut between the two faces, the ones, the dark timbered face and the others that open face he was on and slid down. He hangs up on a, a tree and I get down there and I can see now about 50 yards away. I can see that he's hit like spine far back like right in front of his haunches and i was like how did that happen like how did i make that bad of a shot i know it was mm-hmm. a very awkward shooting angle offhand shot but i'm like shoot so after like looking at him for a little bit i'm realizing like he's not going to be able to get away from me right like like he cannot use his back leg so i'm like okay i'm gonna get this deer like i'm gonna i'm gonna get this deer but i have to kill him still um, and I'm damn sure not going to do the stupid thing of running up there and trying to slit his throat with a huge rack on. I'm going to gore me, you know? So I, uh, I try, I was trying for a multiple angles to line up on him. Cause now he's a little quarter to me. And if I try to get that, that vital shot, um, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin the shoulder meat, you know, it's going to punch right through his shoulder. And I don't, I don't want to do that, especially since like, I don't want, I don't want the animal to be alive for longer than it needs to be. But at the same time, I don't want to unnecessarily ruin meat. Right. But the problem was if I got too far below him, then he's uphill and where he's sitting, that log is blocking him. So I'm like, I can't, I can't really do much. So finally I got close enough to him where he got a burst of adrenaline and tried to make another little, another little run at it for about 10 yards, dragging himself, which always sucks. But then he laid out in a position that was broadside, you know? So then I, I lined up, I put my gun against the pondo, you know, aimed really low cause it's 30 yards and it's zero to 200 and shot. And it didn't look like it did anything like no blood out the back. The deer didn't even look like it got hit. I didn't see anything coming out the front where the entrance room would be. I'm like, did I freaking miss? So I lined up and shot him again. And once again, it didn't look like it did anything, but all of a sudden he started to cough and now there's blood coming out of his mouth and everything. And I'm like, okay, well I shot him in the lungs and you know, I'm going to, now I'm going to wait here for him to die. You know, so it was, it was a super big rodeo up to that point. Like, you know, yeah. What was going through your mind at this point? Okay. Your, your deer first shot, shot him off kind of kilter. You shot him, hit him. Now, supposedly he goes down 300, 300 feet. And then now you get follow-up shot and now you got to wait. You think he's dying Yeah. and you still got to wait. But I, yeah. So before I had the follow-up shots, um, mm-hmm. I had already had it in my head that I have this deer, like okay. I got the deer, but that was the excitement you would get from that 
was totally not there yet because I hadn't killed it. And I was watching it in pain, you know? So I was like, then once I shot the deer again and he, he did end up expiring while, while that was going on. And immediately after it was kind of one of those things where, um, you just kind of stand there. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's over. That just happened. Like, and I don't know, like that, that's, I think I was telling another story about that. That that was just like that elk I killed that follow up shot in the elk. It was like, okay. I don't like the only thing that's going through my head is it's over. Like it's done. Yeah. And it's not like I'm going, moving forward into taking pictures, time to cut them up. And it's not like I'm thinking back to like, Oh, I should have done better on that first shot. It's just kind of like, it's over. Like this is now we're just standing still in time. Like this is just a moment, you know? So then after, after kind of like breathing for a while and being and taking that in, like, all right, I just killed the animal. I have it now. Then I walked up to it and I was like, good buck, you know, good buck. And I was like, you know, he looks about the same as that first one I shot. Maybe a little bit smaller. I could tell his time length wasn't as long, but then that thing I was seeing on the left antler when I was above him was like, what it ended up being was like, a legitimate little crab claw coming up off of the main beam. So in front of the end of the main beam, that point, there's literally two identical points that come up exactly like a crab claw, like both the equal amount on the right side, the left side of the main beam. And they come straight up almost like a tuning fork. It's the tuning fork buck. Yeah. He he was a, (laughs) he was a four point, but his fork was on his three. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that was. Yeah. Well, the main thing that I was really happy with was that he was a mainframe mature deer and he's got those dark timber chocolate chocolate horns. I love those. I love those. Even in the Midwest, those Northwoods bucks or the swamp bucks, they have those dark horns. I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I saw like on the right side, he has G2 and he, I wouldn't even call it a, a G3 coming out the front. It's just a sticker coming out the backside. So he does have a split, but it's not your typical out the front. It's like just a sticker coming yeah. out the back. And then he is, um, then he is split on the front side of that side, like a small fork on the front, your typical G3 and the main beam. But the left side is just one time for the G2, but then it's got that crab claw weird thing near the end. And the other thing mm. about this buck that I really liked was it has mass and it carries it throughout his frame. It's a thick yeah. chocolate buck and his time, his time length isn't going to score well, but like the character factor on this buck was awesome. And the fact of how I just killed it. So yeah, I was like starting to get stu- super stoked after that. Now I'm like, yeah. I had, I, you know, I have history with this mountain. I had a good plan. Aside from the not great shot, I, I executed that plan and now I have a freaking, you know, ghost timber buck right in front of me that I just killed. And I was thinking back on the shot and I still don't know because like those two follow-up shots I made on them were like dead nuts, you know? Yeah. And I, that first shot, it could have been a combination of this two, but I cannot, I was watching that buck for about 45 seconds, almost probably a minute before I shot. And that's a pretty long time for him to stand there nervous. Normally they like decide to leave at that point. So it could have been, I mean, this is obviously saying that it wasn't my shooting, which most of the time when you mess up a shot, it's your shooting. But Mm. I honestly think it could have also been that he decided to bound away right as I pulled that trigger. 
because that would check out with it being for as far back right to left as it was. Because I shot him a foot and a half behind where I was aiming. Yeah. So I kind of think that could have happened. The other story. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Only I think this one you just just decided to go, whereas I think he was here in your era on the other one. But um, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, so I got down, took some pictures with him. I started to get pretty happy, but the the big part was yet to come because the thing that I was really nervous about if I shot a buck up there was the pack out because it was that two thousand feet in one mile downhill on melting snow, and and that is no joke with weight. So I kind of like set the area up. So I had, um, this is grizzly country and I just had whatever kill that animal above me, which I don't think was probably a grizzly bear. I think it was probably a lion or a wolf, but still there's predators around. I'm up here by myself with this dead animal. So I have my bear spray on my person, like on my belt. I have my rifle loaded safety, obviously still on right next to where I'm going to be cutting up this deer in arm's reach. And then I still don't know if this is a good or a bad move, but I have turnpike troubadours playing on my phone as loud as possible over by the tree to, to make some noise. But AJ, that's a terrible move. You know, cougars and wolves love turnpike troubadours. Why would you do that? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I, I would imagine that's good. Yeah. But yeah, so I was like, you know, on the one hand, it alerts other animals that there's a human around here. But on the other hand, if something did want to come in, I'm not going to be able to hear it very well because I got this music playing close to me. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I got to rethink that one in a little bit. But anyways, I cut up the buck and now it's time for the pack out. And um, we're only about 1500 feet in now, three quarters of a mile, but it's still steeper than than heck. So um, basically, I tried to do it all in one trip the first time and I thought that was probably gonna be a stupid idea and it ended up being a stupid idea because I think I went about, uh, I probably went about halfway. So a little over a quarter mile, 600 yards, maybe in about an hour because it was that steep and that slippery. I had my tracking poles, I had my ice cleats, but I was still like slipping underneath the snow was bare grass, pine needles and sticks. And after two times of, really getting my feet out from under me. And one time I started to slide like that damn deer was sliding after I shot him. And the only thing that stopped me was a log there about 12 feet under me. Like I I slid for a good, you know, like I slid for a good, like five yards down the hill with full weight on starting to gain speed, you know? And, and if you, if there wasn't something to stop you there, you just start to go faster and faster. Yeah. And, uh, that's a good recipe to break your legs and then need a rescue mission. Um, so then I, and it was getting dark too. So I didn't want to be hiking down this in the dark because I'm taking a different route down that's quicker to the truck. I don't know that route. So in the dark, I can't navigate as well. And you could cliff yourself out. You could get into a real nasty deadfall, whatever. So anyways, I decided to split it up and I left half of it there and I went down and put the other half in the truck. And I was really going to go home and come back the next day for it. But then I was like, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, which is going to make this snow situation even worse. And now it's pitch black now, but I just did a safe route down. I know it's safe in the snow so I can follow my tracks. Exactly. Go back and get the other one. And that, and then I, I did that. I went and got the other half and round trip only took me 45 minutes that time. Cause it was, 
this point it's probably only seven, 800 feet up from the truck. And then like after, after that pack out, you know, what, what would you, what would be your advice in that snowy, crappy, slippery conditions? Like, it seems like you made a great decision and splitting that pack and taking uh, two, two lighter loads. Um, Yeah. But anything you, you wish you would have had too. Crampons. I had those ice cleats, but the thing I told you about those ice cleats is they're like that. They're like that tight rubber that like just kind of goes over your boots. They're meant for walking on flat ice. When you're walking on the angle of a mountain with weights, they start to work their way off around the bottom of your boot. So I wish I had crampons or something similar that actually has a strap with a buckle that you can secure them, you know? Um, And then, yeah. Yeah. Don't be stupid like me. Like, don't, don't try to put too much weight on your back in that situation because um, the weight's going to be what really hurts you if you fall. I mean, you can fall under your own body weight and that still could get you hurt. But if you have an extra, you know, 60, 70, 80 pounds on your back, what could have been like a sprained ankle might be a broken ankle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just, just be smart about it and know what you're getting into. Also, maybe just don't hunt in that condition. Those conditions suck. <laughs> it would have been much better if it was you cold. You wouldn't have got a deer. You wouldn't nah, have got no, a deer no. if you wouldn't have been on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so another thing too, a question before I guess we you finish up and um, we get into takeaways too is could you um, also kind of describe like was there a habitat like food they were on or anything that like keyed you to that area yeah so i noticed on the front side that where i was seeing all those deer they were actually eating snowberry bushes i'm i'm uh i'm actually not like a great plant id kind of guy and i need to get better at at that kind of stuff uh because it really helps you in these situations you know a a, a forb or a, a bush on the forest floor just looks like every other one until you start seeing deer in a certain area. I'm like, well, what are they eating? And then you got to pick out what, what is what they're eating snowberries. And those things tend to grow where I was finding them on that mountain. At least they were kind of on those steeper slopes that were mostly forested, but still a little bit opener, a little bit more open canopy to let a little bit of light in. Um, And uh, that, that was part of it. Uh, That was part of why I chose that. But the main reason I chose that area was probably because of the bedding situation. Um, Okay. Now, I mean, also those openings, those openings obviously create a gradient of open to totally forested. So there's, there's a mix of food in that area. Like you'll have grasses out in the wide open, then you'll have the snowberries and like the mixed canopy and then further in, you might have something else. So like, that's just it is it had, it had in a mountain. This is, this is the crux of it. This mountain is almost all steep and dark timber and not much underneath it. The limited habitat are these openings and ridge tops where it's not quite as steep. So that's where I was going because that the deer have all the dark timber in the world they want. But the places that they, they don't have a lot of is where you're trying to look for. In a, in a nutshell, to compare like last episode... Well, no, I guess I didn't do that on the last episode. But what were what were those three basic reasons? Biodiversity and food, and what other what other stuff? Well, being away from people. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a general deer unit, and, and in the ver- in the valley bottoms, they do get a lot of hunting pressure down there. Um, yeah, and I would say for that, yeah. So it would be it would be food, being secluded, and topography. Yeah, and cool. the the topography the topography helps. You know, if you, you can look at it one way, it's a really steep topography, and that gets them away from people because there's like two things in Montana that I look for to get away from people is either distance or steepness or both. <laughs> this one was yeah. really not that far, but the steepness level was off the charts. Um, but the topography that I was looking for specifically were, were those gra- more gradual bent. Like even if it was the size of a desk, a little flat spot, cause that's what they're missing yeah. up there is a flat spot. So like if you could yeah. pick out where those flat spots are, and then you just get the wind right and slowly work into it. Like there are deer to be had in there, but it is really, really sparse hunting. Like I was saying that one day I went out there, I think I hunted for 10 or 11 hours. I saw 10 deer and that was like the best day I've had on that mountain as far as seeing deer. So it's kind of like hunting for a ghost, you know, which is yeah. why I love it. Cause should I, should I go through that kind of like how many of those bucks I think are on that mountain? I mean, well, well, I was going to say, I mean, what made this buck, besides its antlers, if this is a tough question, uh, like what made this buck different than the other ones you've taken on this mountain? Well, I've only taken you. up, yeah. I've only, I've only taken one other buck on this mountain. So, Well, okay, uh, game, because you shot a bear on this mountain as well, too, yeah. correct? Well, the big difference on this deer was just that I went into it with, a concerted plan. It, it didn't feel, I mean, you always have some sort of luck, like the, the luck that I dropped my, uh, hand warmer off the cliff to put me lower on that hill, which put me right on top of that buck. I didn't know that was going to happen. And like, you don't Mm -hmm. try to like, you're not gonna, that's not like a hunt strategy to drop something off a cliff. So you change your route, you know? Um, so there's always a little bit of, (laughs) There's always a little bit of luck involved, but uh, the difference I would say is that I had a very dialed plan from hunting this mountain probably close to 10, 11 times now. And I knew what to expect and I knew what I wanted to do to succeed and basically did it. And that's like Mm -hmm. the best feeling. I mean, some of those, you know, those lucky hunts are like so fun because they're unexpected and like, you're like, oh my God, we got lucky is great. And it's really good if it's at the end of a long, hard hunt that that happens, like you'll take that any day. But the ones that you feel really proud about are like ones where you did all your homework and you executed it well and it paid off. And that's why that buck was so special to me. Um, And he was different than... uh, that's only the third mainframe buck I've seen on that mountain. I mean, fourth. The first deer when I was archery hunting up there, there was a giant white tail that I didn't stalk in on, which I should have. But most of the deer, most of the mule deer I see up there are like, you know, forkies. They're like two and a half year old forkies, maybe a tiny, like a smaller three point. And they're still pretty hefty deer. They're mountain deer. They got like a little bit more mass, like I was saying, chocolate horns are cool deer. Mm-hmm. Um, but those mainframe mature bucks on that mountain are really hard to come by. They have some predation in hunting, but I really think that it's just the habitat. It's mostly dark timber, not a whole bunch of production, not a whole bunch of feed, and uh, not a lot of, like, it's a harsh environment. It's, like, you know, windy, rainy, snowy up there, steep. And so 
uh, if you just think about it for a second, we'll, we'll just talk about deer that I see versus how many are actually on that mountain. Um, but like if I go out and I'm hunting in a day and I see 10 deer, what, what are the, how many bucks are there? What's the normal buck to doe ratios? Like, you know, 20, maybe 25% are bucks, maybe. And then you start to break that down in age class, yearling, two and a half year old. Now what I would define as mature three and a half. I mean, people say four and a half is full potential, but like a three and a half year old will be a, a rutting full frame buck, you know, and in central Montana where you can see like a hundred deer a day, probably wouldn't shoot that buck if I had the choice, but on a mountain like this, with that difficult of a hunt and that adventure kind of aspect of the hunt, like I think that deer was probably three and a half year old, maybe four and a half. But so you have, I see 10 deer, maybe, maybe, maybe 2.5 of those are bucks. And then, you know, obviously statistically there's way fewer of that three and four year old class. But even if you just said it was like one out of four are a four year old, which is not the case. You're still like, out of your 10 deer, how many hunts are you going to have to go on until you see that one year after you probably have to look over 20, 30 deer on that mountain, which it's probably about four hunts until you see a buck that you actually want to shoot. So that that's also what was cool about it. It was like, it's hard. And it's that slow hunting, really taking your time and knowing you're probably not going to see what you're after that day. But it's like a, it's a meditation and discipline. It's like sticking to your guns and, going through the process. And it really is like meditation up there, especially since it's like no cell service. You're back there. You don't nearly see anybody. It's just the wind and the trees. And it's like, you're, it's like a total mind turn off from like everything else you're doing in your life. And yeah, so it's really cool. I, I was so stoked to kill that buck. And especially since not only is he, you know, a mature deer for that mountain, but he's also just a really cool, unique rack and, uh, yeah, it's, it, I honestly think that from the adventure aspect, planning it out and executing and the type of buck that that is, like that might be my favorite buck hunt I've ever done. Yeah, I I think, um, yeah. So to kind of take away off of that point is, I mean, just your story, how many small things had to align for you to be successful and you know to not take that for granted that's a an area where there's not a lot of buck densities like you pointed out and it's hard terrain it's all this like a lot of things have to align for you to be successful and then also another like pat on the back for you i think one thing for everybody is to not always lose focus you know stay in the moment stay present and you in that story um you were like, you had to get your head in the game because all of a sudden you hit, you felt that sun hitting you and it's like, this is a deery area, you know? So it's like you got focused. It's like you had those good intuitions to stay focused and in the game because if someone would have been la-da-da-da-da, deer screaming, getting attacked by something and not been focused, might not have happened. So, I mean, things happen that maybe point you in the right direction that you didn't plan, but to take advantage of that is a different situation. And I mean, I think that's kudos to you and that hunt, you know? Yeah. Thanks. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's just kind of being in that mindset too, of moving slow, everything you do, do it slow, look around before mm -hmm. you take a step, you know, listen, look around again, like look where you just were, look back behind you, check your back trail, all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> just, 
just to your point you said earlier when you're like you become like you move like the deer and are like the deer that's exactly how the deer moves so yeah just be the deer to shoot the deer yeah, exactly <laughs> and that's funny too like you said is uh you know like you get that deer sense that goes off when you start to hit a certain area and i think it comes a lot too with like hunting certain areas and knowing what what mm-hmm. to look for and not necessarily what to look for. We've talked about this before where your brain kind of is like, when you say you, you, you feel it in your gut, it's really your past experiences that you can't consciously remember, but it's you, your brain subconsciously telling you something is going on here. Maybe it's because of the angle, of the sun, the direction of the wind and like the type of plants you're seeing, but you don't really think about those individual things. You just think this feels like deary, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly actually what happened on that mule deer hunt with my buddy last weekend. We got to this ridge and we hadn't seen a deer in four hours. And we got to that ridge and all of a sudden I walked up to him. He turns to me, he's like, this looks like the deer's. And I'm like, yeah, my deer senses just went up. And we took like two more steps and we spotted that bedded buck right there. And then we went and cut down the other ridge. Another buck jumped out from below us. Luckily it didn't blow the other one out. But yeah, yeah, it's like you just get that tingle and you're like, okay, here we go. Um, So yeah, I'm just super stoked on it. And I probably will hunt central Montana mule deer more next year, just because that's kind of scratched my mountain niche there. Even though I would go with other people probably for that, if they're physically able to do that kind of hunt. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Um, That is such a great hunt. I felt so good after getting it back to the truck too, because I was pretty nervous with that pack out. And once it was all said and done, I was, I was high on life for sure. Um, But yeah, Take for me the takeaway is just persistence and and uh, moving slow, man. Persistence mm-hmm. and moving slow and and committing to the process, knowing something works, and doing that even when it's not working right now. Yeah. You know? Um. Hunt your hunt. That's it. Know know what works for you and do it. Yeah. You want to. We could talk, I don't know if we want to get too much into conservation. Uh, I, I know I was talking about just that. The, the interesting part about those low deer density places is that a buck like that is pretty rare. If you if you mm-hmm. do the math like we were talking about, how many bucks to does and then how many of each year class to get that kind of a buck is pretty, pretty cool. Um, why don't we just finish her off here? We just talked about uh, two, two mule deer stories. Um, two very different mule deer stories, but, uh, Ryan, what is your favorite thing about mule deer? Favorite thing about mule deer right here's a funny one. It's, uh, it's how they hop away. I just love their little bound away. Stotting. Yeah. Okay. That's the word for it. Stotting. I don't let the weird one, but I mean, just the look of them, their big ears and all that, but it just boom, boom. Usually, yeah. hopefully, you're not not seeing a lot of that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is so, like a very pecu- peculiar uh, thing versus the whitetail woods. I'm not used to. I was actually uh, talking to some people about like why, what is the explanation for why do they do that? And I think yeah. that people are saying it's an adaptation for uneven ground because if you come down on I, all four you can balance it out and go again right away. Whereas if you're like, you know, bounding with two legs, if yeah. one of them goes and you're tumbling, you know, um, I, I could see that. I've always thought of that. And I'm like, I bet you any money it's got to do with topography or like getting down or something like that. Yeah. It's easier to boom, boom. Yeah. But okay. 
Yeah, cool. I was actually thinking that too on this last trip to Central Montana that you're talking about them hopping around in their big ears. I'm like, you know what? A mule deer is just like a really big rabbit. <laughs> True. Just like a, just like a, a giant rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> a jackrabbit. Yeah. And they taste good too. Um, yep, true. All right, what's yours? I, I would think that my favorite thing is more of a care, like a character quality versus like an actual physical thing. Like you said, I know this isn't true of like all mule deer, but big bucks so oh, far from my it. experience. I, um, I like how th- when they spook, they leave. Like I feel like whitetail bucks, they change their routine. They might do this or that, but they still have their home range and you can probably still get on that deer again. And I don't know if it's that mule deer are like, they're not necessarily more skittish or more like smart. I think they just live in a bigger range and I think they don't put up with that shit very much. Like obviously everybody knows that, you know, when a mule deer is looking at you like this, they normally look at you like that for a long, like you can get shots at mule deer when they're looking at you. Cause they're like really trying to discern what's going on. But in my experience, when they do decide to go, it's see ya. They like, they go over the next mountain. Like they just leave. And that pressure, um, that pressure is kind of what, uh, makes them cool to me is that they, I feel like they almost might be more susceptible to hunting pressure than elk. I almost feel like a mature buck goes further in from public access, even than like elk well, if they get bumped. So yeah, I, li- I like how they're so uh, elusive. I like, I like how those big bucks are loose, especially in the timber. They're like ghosts legit. Yeah. I mean, I've only laid eyes on three mature bucks on that mountain. And I probably before killing the two and the other one, added up between the three of them. I bet you that I was only looking at those things for less than two minutes up between all of them. So into thin air, they're just hard to tame. They're like a little, Mm -hmm. they're like a ghost. They're so, so cool. But, um, that's what makes getting one such a cool thing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just, uh, happy about happy about filling that tag. And now I'm just trying to watch white tails and shoot a doe. Hopefully are you, uh, what are you, you're going home for uh rifle opener yep. here? I'm going home just to kind of partake in the tradition. Hopefully dad just shot a doe tonight and I told him, let it hang for a few days and I'll come home and help clean it. And we'll get that pastrami rolling in the smoker. We'll get some good meals and, and hopefully the brother-in-laws are coming and from Kentucky and then one still lives in Wisconsin. So they go out there hunting and. I'll probably go sit out in the stand with them and get the get the camera with me. So hopefully one of those gets some meat to bring back with them. Great. Well, I'm just going to be doing the old archery whitetail hunting for the next couple of days. Yeah. And then I don't know. Be oh. right, yeah. In no, in uh, in Montana, we only have about 10 days, 11 days left of season here. So after that, it's only uh, waterfowl. And we're coming to the end here, Ryan. We're always hunting. I'm already hanging cameras to see what survived shotgun season in Minnesota. (laughs) You know, you're always on, always hunting. Yeah. Or you're ice fishing, you know, everything changes. It's fine. Everything changes. We'll always adapt as sportsmen. Uh Uh-huh. So, well, I guess we'll leave you guys with, uh, 
I mean, by the time this airs, we might be pretty much over with most seasons, but get, get it in while you can last little bit, live it up. Hopefully everybody enjoyed our fall series of our success stories. And then also now our meal deer stories. Next week, we're going to bring in some guests from Utah in a peculiar bison hunt, once-in-a-lifetime hunt, hardtag draw, and they'll tell their stories about their success. In the meantime, hopefully follow us on the Story Podcast official. That is Story Podcast official. Check out our reels, our meals, and hopefully enjoy. Everybody be safe. Thank you.